Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. It's that time of year again. Time to plan a getaway vacation. As always, we have a few safety tips for your travels. Tip 1. Always carry emergency cash in your sock. Tip 2. If you don't trust the hotel staff, you can ensure they don't steal your things by leaving your Do Not Disturb sign on the door. Without that sign, they can come in and take whatever they want. Clothes, loose change, semen, keys, the usual. Safe travels. You are listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And joining us on the show today, she is the director of the Stephen King Dollar Baby Dedication. Austria-born and world-traveled filmmaker Selena Sonderman is here with us. Welcome to the show, Selena. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to, out of your evening, because it's nine o'clock where you are now, uh, to chat with us. Yes, of course. It's my pleasure. Before we get into the interview, there's a a little gatekeeping we have to take care of at the top of the show. CM guards our interviews with her life. So the stakes are very high for this. So I'm going to turn things over to CM. Oh, so now if if the interviewee doesn't answer the correct way, it's my life? Yeah, it's it's on you. (laughs) All right, Selena, I I need your help on this then. (laughs) Okay. Our first question for you is just, uh, this is an easy one. It's a softball. What was your introduction to Stephen King's work? Um, It was it. I remember very vividly a conversation I had in, I I don't know the American grade, but I was 12 years old and we were discussing clowns. (laughs) And I mentioned that I thought them scary. And a classmate of mine mentioned that there's this film with a spooky clown that eats children. And that was the moment I knew that I had to see the film. And then upon seeing the film, I mean, there was the miniseries with uh, Tim Curry. And after I'd seen it, I was like, I have to read the book this is based on. (laughs) So you were afraid of clowns. And your classmate's yes. response was, watch the scariest clown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> very Austrian thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun to be introduced to Stephen King as a kid, in my opinion. Most of the people we talk to, that is their introduction at a very young age. Yeah. And I think that just makes makes you a better person as an adult. <laughs> The next question requires just a little bit of explanation. On our podcast, we talk about something that we refer to as being a Stephen King moment. And it is something from his work that stands out and sticks with you, usually in a disturbing, you know, haunting way. Sometimes it's something very mundane. Other times it is something very alarming and obviously scary. Do you have a Stephen King moment from any of his work? Yes, absolutely. As I just mentioned, I started reading Stephen King when I was pretty young. Um, and it was part of rebellion, part, yeah, I guess, daringness. Um, mm-hmm. I started Gerald's Game around that age, but it, it just didn't click with me. And then when I came back to it in 2016, having gained some experience living as a woman, I couldn't. I had this newfound love for the book and I had just a jarring moment and I remember like it's a flashbulb memory it's in, seared into my memory I was waiting for a football match to begin and it was in the middle of the summer I think it was the hottest day of that summer 
and I had just goosebumps. Like it really, like I was so terrified of this description of is there a person at the end of the bed or is it just a like, man <laughs> and when yeah. the mouth opens and she realizes it's an actual person just staring at her sleeping and it's the scariest thing I've ever read. That is an awesome, awesome answer. You passed the test, not only because that's a really that's a really cool one, but it's similar to a weird experience that I had with Gerald's game. I also picked that one up way too young, kind of as a rebellious thing because it's you know quote unquote sexy <laughs> book. <laughs> or is it, if you're young it's and so you don't sexy. know any better, you're like, oh, it's ooh, it's taboo. And it I didn't actually know what it was about. And it was a book I chose to read to my younger stepsister at the time who hadn't heard of Stephen King. <laughs> so oops. So you scarred both of you. Two for the yeah. price of one. That's not bad. Yeah. I just I love that the image of being outside like searing hot day and you're just covered in <laughs> Horrifying oh. chills. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Now, Selena, let's let's talk about filmmaking for a little bit, because that's the reason we brought you here. You've traveled all over the world working in film. What is it about filmmaking that made you know that it was the path you wanted to go down? I started reading. My parents were quite traditional in the sense that limited TV time and no laptop, no computer when I was growing up. So it took me some time. I'm not the... I don't a cinephile history, I guess, because I, I came into film as an art pretty late. Uh, but I remember very vividly that it was uh, watching a David Lynch film and realizing what film could be. Um, previously, I had just known this. I mean, when you're growing up, growing up in Europe, uh, you have a you, you consume mainly Hollywood films or mm. German films that try to be Hollywood films. The the moment that film as a form of art as something that could also uh, tell a story in an innovative way in a and half of the specifics had be considered their own um, form of art was when I watched uh, Lost Highway for the first time. And then I obviously started watching Twin Peaks, which is obviously one of the more famous projects of David Lynch. Mm -hmm. And as part of a school project, I decided to do a little um, remake slash sequel. And that was back in 2010, so before any uh, 25 years later was actually in the making. And after I I don't even want to call it a film because it was so amateur. But after I had this experience, I knew that this was the way to go for me. That's amazing. <laughs> what was your, if I could ask, if, uh, what was the, your plot for your Twin Peaks sequel fan film? Oh, yes. <laughs> it was Laura Palmer's diary is found mm -hmm. and people start reading the entries. And then suddenly the book starts to change. The people of Twin Peaks, they're curious why the the events they are reading in the book are not exactly the way they are remembering it in their own minds. And it turns out that history is being rewritten um, and Laura Palmer comes back to life. And that's why the diary was changing because she that's, never died. That sounds amazing. That sounds so kick-ass. <laughs> I would watch that. It's that not is, too late. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that is very creative for, uh, for your first time directing something and writing something. That's huge. Besides David Lynch, what are some of your other uh, directorial inspirations? I absolutely love Luca Guadagnino. I just the other day spoke to my friend and uh, Luca basically steals all of my ideas that I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> makes such gorgeous, wonderful films out of them that I can't even be jealous of it. So yeah, he's one of my favorite directors. But I also like uh, independent uh, female filmmakers, Andrea Arnold, uh, Antonia Bird, Lynn Stopkovich, and also German director Anna Zora uh one of uh, some of my uh, idols. 
fantastic. You adapted the short story Dedication into a short film through the Dollar Baby process. For anybody who has not read Dedication, could you summarize the story for us? Yes, it's about a black maid who wants to change the identity of her baby's father because she fears that her baby might follow into the dark footsteps of uh, its father. And she's not very happy in her marriage and she's being abused and she wants to she wants her child to become a better man than his father was. Of, of all of the Dollar Baby projects, what drew you to dedication? I read all of the stories available uh, initially. My initial instinct would have been to adapt Survivor Type because I'm, that's just one of my favorite short stories. But digging into myself um, upon taking a harder look at myself, like what could I contribute to this, was that I realized that I, don't, I, I didn't have anything to add to the story, anything that would make it a fruitful film. And so I, I looked at the stories again with a different eye and tried to see which of the stories was something that I could put my own spin on it. And dedication stood out because it's it's been criticized in the past by scholars, black academics and also female academics. I think some of it is just mainly because it's a product of, it, of its time, the story. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to see if I could put a little bit of a modern spin on it and also have a bit of a more... Um, a different approach to why um, the fatherhood is being changed because Stephen King's approach is quite nature and my own approach would, would have been more nurture, what makes uh, a child turn into a quote-unquote a good or a bad person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something I found, uh, a story I found I could experiment with. Yeah, yeah, I we're going to definitely get to some of those things soon because I am so happy with the spin that you put on, on this. But before we get to that, you told us you dabbled in method directing for this film. What did you do and <laughs> yes. what did you gain from that experience? Um, well, I mean, I'm not a black person. Um, so my approach to the character was somewhat limited. You know, there's the saying, write what you know. But I also find that know what you write. Like it turns both ways. And so for me to be able to write this story about a, a chambermaid who's being abused on all ends, the least I could do was to actually experience the life of a chambermaid. And so I wrote some hotels just asking if I could shadow them to do some research. And most of them were like, no, uh, that's not what we do. <laughs> but did a different approach. I just applied for a job there. And so kind of an undercover mission was to gather all this uh, experience of chambermaids. And actually, while I did experience some racism uh, from some hotel guests towards my non-white colleagues, just in general, how people treat service workers was a humbling experience. And I found it wasn't even necessary to bring race into the discrimination she faces because um, class alone role is, is equally a um, heavy blow to take if you're working for somebody and just being continually harassed by hotel guests. I will say that absolutely comes through in your adaptation of dedication. The, the way that she is spoken to by everyone who is not directly her peer in that film. Like you can feel just everyone, all that pressure on her. And I, I thought that you did a masterful job there. Thank you. You made some pretty large changes to the source story to make it your own. And you still managed to pay tribute to the emotion and tone of the story. So can you walk us through some of the changes you made and why you made them? Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, thank you for the compliment. So as I mentioned before, um, my approach was a more like my personal approach to how people turn out is a more nurture based one. I had to find a new reason why this uh, magical ritual would, would be necessary in the first place. 
But also in the story, um, she's quite passive. She's not actively seeking uh, the help of the witch, but rather she, the magic ritual is just being thrust upon her and it's another violation. And I, I didn't want to want this to be a story where magic is, is evil in a sense. I mean, there's still a, a, a there's still suspense to it. There's still mystery to it. And it's not, I can understand that some people might be uncomfortable with magic, but I didn't want it to be another violation for Martha. So for me, it was important that she actively seek out the witch and tell her, please, there's something we can do if it's not a natural remedy. Um, because obviously there's no natural way to just change a baby's uh, <laughs> Yeah. That's, a, I love that spin on it because I feel like too often magic is viewed the way it is because it is more of a sort of thought of as a feminine thing. And it seems like we tend to, as a society, villainize anything that empowers women just sexually or in any sort of way. So to to be more true to that and have that be a just a normal thing is really awesome to see on screen. Thank you. How did other people react to some of these changes? The individuals who've had a chance to see your film, what did they think of them or have you had any feedback about that? I mean, most of the people I that have seen the film um, and are familiar with Stephen work still don't know the story because it's just not one of the more, more popular ones. So I was actually terrified of the Stephen King Rules Festival because that was the first time that actual diehard Stephen King fans uh, <laughs> were given the chance to see it. And I was biting my nails like, oh my God, at any moment somebody's going to say like, the story is better, the book is better. <laughs> um, but I was, I was blown away by all the love and all the positive feedback I received. I'm, I'm very glad that people also realized why I did uh, I made those changes and, and saw that I wasn't trying to ruin anything or I don't know make a mockery I guess of, mm-hmm. of, of the source material but rather just find a different way to, to tell this this story that was meant to be about a mother's dedication to a child nothing more nothing less yeah, and I think seeing your adaptation was the first time I ever experienced dedication. I went back and read it after uh, we exchanged emails and and started doing this, planning this interview, because I w- I wanted to have a grasp on how much was different. And it's so funny that I I noticed some of the things that you'd already mentioned, but you just blindsided me a little earlier with the fact that I did not realize how passive she is in that story until you mentioned it. It is literally, it is a story of things happening to someone. <laughs> and so it's really, it's really cool to, to give our main character that power and that control. It's really great. The film has a, a really dark weight to it. It draws you into this woman's struggle. So you needed a strong female lead to pull this off. Can you tell us about the casting process and how hard it was to find your lead? It was actually quite hard to just find an um, Afro-German actress because, I mean, this was pre the Black Lives Matter movement in the past year because there's still a lot of undealt racism in German and in the German cinema world. And most agencies only have one or two Black actresses, like one Black actor, usually one Black actress, and then say, oh, now we have that covered. So it was really hard to just find Black talent in, in Berlin. And then I reached out to Germany and I was just by chance kind of Raquel Villar ended up applying to an open casting call and I had seen a previous film of hers. I just hadn't made the connection that she was still in Berlin. I thought she was in Brazil because she she's not actually in an Amazon series in Brazil, but she's based in both Rio and in Berlin. And I met her for coffee. I mean, I met some other actresses as well and we had informal auditions because for me, once I see the showreel, I know that they can act. But what I want to know is how we can work together. I want to have a more of a feel for the collaboration how that process is going to be like 
And so when I sat down with Raquel, she just asked the most fantastic questions that I was just blown away. And I didn't even have the response at that time for most of them. But it's just, I knew that this is the kind of input I need. Like I want this to be a, on even grounds. I don't want to be like a director talking down and giving commands, but rather have, have the actor put, have an input and have this be a, I guess a person that, that comes from the both of you, from the actor and the director, mm -hmm. so to create this character, Martha, together. And I was just very, very lucky that she actually applied. That sounds amazing. She was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she was unbelievable. <laughs> Were there any moments that you can think back to on set that you guys created any of those moments in the film kind of together? Yes, spoiler alert. When she receives the news that Juan Rosero passes away, because it was difficult to, to have this, because it's just a close-up shot of her face and we had to read all these emotions in her. And she just surprised me with her chin tilt and she just walks out of the room with such pride. And that was all her. Mm -hmm. I was just like, this was one or two takes and I was blown away. And I was like, this is, this is something I haven't even considered mm -hmm. that there would be pride in taking this back. Like I have survived. I am reborn i guess she herself is reborn in that moment and it's it was amazing and yeah that's i think one of my favorite shots actually in yeah. the whole film it's great like you can it made me want to cheer at the end just like how strong she looks after you see how much hell she's been through it's so great do you have any behind the scenes stories from sets the the set that you can share with us uh yeah I, we shot in a real hotel that was a service and so we managed to confuse a lot of people um, <laughs> hotel uh, guests that were asking us questions about the hotel pool and we we're like, i'm sorry no idea we're not actually working here we just dressed up and we caused some confusion with the the cart that the maids keep wheeling um because they just thought that another maid had left it in front of the room and we're like no no this is being used and the staff actually interrupted some takes by trying to no. move the card or apologizing to us for somebody leaving the card what was it like shooting uh, in like gorilla kind of guerrilla style in this hotel while it's being used i mean we did have permission but uh it was still um the the moments where there were no guests was fine because it is quite a large hotel and it is um it wasn't any congress going on at the moment because it's mainly used for conventions or conferences so we were lucky that there was a less number amount of guests staying there. Actually working in the shooting the kitchen scenes was much harder because we couldn't afford to rent out the entire place because it, it's, it had rooms in the back being used and we would have had to compensate for them mm. moving the kitchen or something. So we negotiated a different deal that people could keep working and sound was very mad at me for that. <laughs> because there were actually people working in the background that can be heard. But I guess it adds to the atmosphere. Yeah. Sure. And I didn't have to pay extras. <laughs> <laughs> that is always a good plus. Now, we've talked around this magic sequence, which is, it feels like a fever dream in the best possible way. And I was wondering just how difficult is that to write, to, to put to paper what we saw as this fever dream? That's actually so funny that you ask it that way, because that was the only thing that wasn't written out because I didn't have the words uh, to put the images ahead in my head and I didn't even know if I could translate them. So it literally just said, uh, I think the women are doing magic. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, I had, uh, I'm a big kind of charmed original series. And yeah. so I had these images of, of how their hands move and what, like I had all these candles and 
sage burning mm-hmm. and all these things, but I didn't know how to describe this. Like it's in the fever dream. So I, I did have it written out and we just improvised in that moment. And we were lucky that uh, Buena Matura, who plays Madelon, she actually had some experience. Uh, in some, uh, I think Santa Santeria rituals, I believe. Okay. And she just led the way and she performed this fictionalized ritual because she said, like, we don't want to provoke yeah. the actual. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was, most of it was up to her, but we did add, uh, add, add some fictional, like some, sorry, some artificial fog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just shaky camera. Philip uh, was in his, the DOP was in his element where he could do handheld and experiment with that as well. <laughs> yeah, that the whole sequence was just so jarring. It, it's from that, sequence that your poster comes from correct yes for those of you who did not who are listening to this that did not watch the teller baby before this came up they showed the poster and they said this is a very bold choice for a poster and we're all sitting here like uh all right i'm not sure why it's bold and then by the end of it we're like oh god that yeah what <laughs> what was was that your idea to make for for that image and for that to be the poster yeah I guess that image um, of a woman being submerged in bodily fluids uh, <laughs> was actually something that grew out of my fascination for Greek mythology because at least there is an inter- uh, translation that Venus is, is being born from sperm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Am I allowed to say sperm? Oh, yeah. Oh, you can say anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I had an image in my head of a woman being submerged in this liquid as an image of her being reborn. And that was mainly what I wanted to say, that not only her baby gets a new father, gets a new chance at life, but also she herself is being freed from those shackles of her past. And so for me, that just describes both the weirdness of the story, and because I guess that's what people remember and why there were pe- people putting disclaimers uh, in the YouTube stream at the Sydney King Festival, watch out for this story, it's kind of gross. So <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the image just summed up the story for me. I wish you could have been with us in our house when we were watching this because there were a lot of, in a, in a really good positive way, a lot of audible noises coming from us <laughs> throughout. You know, first it was like, wow, this this is very beautiful. Like it just looks gorgeous right from the beginning. The acting is really excellent. And then I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to say what part, but there's a part later I'm like, well, did she just, what? Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I also hadn't read the story. And I think that's Kind of a cool, I, I'm glad I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so I had no idea what to expect. And I just uh, weirdly appreciated <laughs> all of that stuff <laughs> being on screen that way. Kind of challenges you as you're watching something like that too, to just sit back and, and open up your mind and let the film happen to you. And I thought that was really neat. Thank you. So you, you filmed Dedication in 2018. Uh, since you finished it what ha- what has it been like looking back on it now that you just said you know you hadn't seen it shown in in front of a bunch of Stephen King fans like how how do you feel about it now looking back on everything you accomplished with something that bold I'm very proud of the film and I'm actually after all this Stephen King talk and people saying that they um of the dollar baby talk that people saying they were doing sequels and prequels I actually consider this is there some way we can pick this up again and, and maybe show Martha's life later on. So that's something I'm considering. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. That would be really interesting to know because that, that ending is uh, it's uplifting, but it's also fairly ambiguous. You don't know how, how the, the mm-hmm. later effects of this magic of, of this new rebirth is going to take. So it'd be really interesting to follow up on these characters 
and see how it goes. Do you think that the the her overall story, her and her child's life, has an overall positive ending? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go through that much, I think you deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think it might become difficult when the child starts asking questions about <laughs> father. <laughs> So if you could give a piece of advice to any future Dollar Baby filmmakers after everything you've been through, what would that piece of advice be? To use the love you have for Stephen King and his work, to harness it in your in your work, but not to let it overshadow you. I think you're allowed to, to make some changes without offending the master himself or his fans or his large body of work. I think we have to be also confident in our own voices and if there's something that we have to say that might be different to what initially is taken from the story um this is also your chance to say it or to find it i think art and filmmaking itself is such a collaborative process it's not something that somebody can do on his own in the room and so to use your own voice to add a layer to Stephen King's work that's an amazing opportunity and uh, you shouldn't be afraid to do that big choices can pay off so what uh, what interests you now? What What's the next project for you? Actually, before I started uh, the Dollar Baby in my bachelor degree, um, I started to work on a cannibal project. And this has just been growing on me. And I, I've formed a more concrete story now. But since it's so controversial, um, it's been a bit hard to get, get funding. But I'm just uh, finalizing my first feature script, which is this project. It's about consensual cannibalism. It's something that not a lot of people, I guess, can relate to. Mm-hmm. But then again, the Army Hammer debate uh, might uh, feed some flames into that. So maybe there's a chance I can actually produce this film. That sounds that- amazing. I would love to see a consensual cannibalism Yes. Film. And if, if you're going to drum up funding for that, like on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or anything, let us know. We love to support filmmakers amazing thank you absolutely so is is horror the the realm you want to sink your teeth into i guess directorially wise i elements of horror definitely i'm more of a i I describe this an empathy for the devil kind of uh filmmaking approach so i'm a horror meets drama and coming of age and combining these elements to maybe a just a more lovable horror that you actually love for the creature, not fear it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I think we we understand that being Stephen King fans, because there are so many of his antagonists that objectively are not good people and have done terrible things that you feel like you should not support. And okay, I'm not going to throw Josh under the bus, but <laughs> I kind of love some of them. <laughs> so I, I love to be challenged by a filmmaker or a writer to feel empathy and understanding despite myself for someone who's not necessarily in the right or doing the right thing. I think that's awesome. Thank you. I have one more question for you that just kind of occurred to me. It's this is the first time we've been able to interview a filmmaker who is, who does not film in the United States or even just in <laughs> North America. Can you tell us like kind of what it's like to, to film? Cause you filmed, you've been part of projects kind of all over the place. How is the filmmaking culture in Germany and Austria different? Oh, God, it's so different. It's not company-based. Like It's not that there's a giant company that just produces it all. Most of the funding is national. You apply for fundings, and then they have 
juries who decide which films get funded or not. You have to apply to several ones. I don't think there's one public funding initiative that, that won't agree to fund all of the films. So it's mainly just applying to different areas and getting funds from it. So it's, I guess, in a sense, I don't want to say easier, but it's not It's not so dominated for one production company or producer just has one voice and that's a thing that goes through. But you also have to prove that there will be use of this film. So that's kind of my problem that people are like, what's the benefit of doing a consensual cannibalism film? And most people in the public eye don't see that this is gonna this will be a film that, you know, brings the family to the theater. So that's not yeah. something that they expect a huge revenue on. So it's it has its upsides but also downsides. Sounds really interesting. It sounds like it creates a a positive competitive atmosphere for filmmakers. Because I imagine everybody is trying to, you know, you don't have to fight each other for one agent. You can just put all your projects up and, you know, may the best project win. All right. Before we get going, wrapping this up, CM, do you have anything? Well, I do kind of want to ask you, since it was your first experience, is that your preferred or your favorite Stephen King adaptation? Or do you have another that you really enjoy? Oh boy, there's so many I enjoy. I mean, uh, Shawshank Redemption obviously is a masterpiece. Uh, Stand by Me is beautiful, but an underrated classic I always recommend to people is Dolores. Claiborne is the English term, I think. That's just brilliant. And I mean, Kathy Bates obviously is Annie Wilkes as well, but she's also Dolores and she's <laughs> such a talented actress. Okay, this is kind of a weird question just for me. So I'm sorry, Josh. And- <laughs> Everyone else, but when I when I watched Dedication, I saw something about it made me think of Rosie from Rose Matter. I don't know. Have you? Okay, you're nodding your head, so you're familiar yeah. with that one. That was my first Stephen <laughs> King book. So I and I love it. Would you ever consider making that into a movie? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, when I decided to prepare for Dedication and my approach to it, um, I was looking at uh, you know other Stephen King heroines. What make them stronger characters and um so rosie just stood out because she's um she has a similar backstory uh, to martha mm-hmm. but she takes the reins of her life and there's this just incredible scene where she um is in this women's shelter and she's she's being pushed as a so what what is it that you can do what is what is the job we could do for you and she's like yeah i can make beds i can fold laundry i can do that, that that's what i've been doing for the past 20 years is that not not worth anything and that's just something i found so powerful and it, it's the truth it's a lot of abused women uh, who, who do flee um, they, they end up working a, in hotels as me that's an actual fact and i found this this approach to why a woman starts working in hotels so powerful that yeah that was uh, an inspiration on my take um for martha oh that's so, i'm so happy to hear that because i i screamed out loud to josh and my husband were watching i'm like it's rosie and then i had to stop I'm like okay this isn't even that's not it's not rose matter it's obviously not rosie but yeah you can feel that similar very strong female character who's just persevering through all kinds of things and finds her strength and so okay, awesome. I'll I'll look forward to your adaptation of Rose Matter. <laughs> I absolutely love 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 to do it. Selena, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to follow you, follow your career, uh, how can they do that? I'm on Twitter uh, at Sonderman Films and on Instagram at Selena Sonderman. Once again, thank you to our wonderful guest for taking the time to talk to us. For Selena Sonderman and CM Alexander, this is Joshua Khan reminding you: write what you know. Know what you write.
Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Selena. Josh and I had a ton of fun talking to her. Give Selena a follow on Facebook and Instagram, keep up with what she's doing, and check out her future projects. We will include all of her information in our show notes for you. In case you missed the Stephen King Rules Film Festival haikus, this is the haiku we wrote for dedication. To save her baby, a magic woman will test her dedication. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.